0: Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. Today we're talking about commitment. We're talking about commitment. And this is not, this is probably the toughest message that I will teach in the three because the rest of them can kind of be a little funny and a little fun. But this one might be a little more serious. I may talk to you pretty straight today. But I want to talk about a word called commitment. It's a word that is not vogue in a wo- in America or the world today. A word called commitment is not vogue. It's do what you want to do, be with who you want to be, and then leave when you get ready. The word commitment is not a part of our language. And so I want to talk about a word that is... I want to reinvent the wheel today, if I can, and bring you back to a word called commitment. How many of you believe the Lord's been committed to us? We must be committed to Him. You may be seated. You're awesome people. I love you very much. Next February, Patty and I will celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. I think that's pretty neat. Uh, after tragedy came triumph. What a beautiful lady in my life. I could tell you today that the last 35 years have been a heavenly bliss, but she would correct me by saying there's been a little bit of that other world mixed too. You know what I'm saying? That other world. Like all couples, we married for better or for worse, rich or poor, and in recent years, there's been perhaps more deaths and sickness in our family than than health. But we still give God glory, and we're still together. Last night, my wife received a, a text from her cousin Sharon in Houston and one of her favorite aunts passed away. And it was, it was tragic. It was so tragic. And, and I'm not a negative preacher, but this is this about death and dying. But it was so tragic. She, she was perfectly healthy three weeks ago doing everything that an 81-year-old woman does. Just doing everything. Just living large and, and, a, and a great, great lady just going everywhere. And all of a sudden stricken with a, what they thought was a stroke and they found out it was a tumor the size of a baseball in her head that had caused her to collapse and lose her speech and lose her mobility and lose all the things that she did normally. And in less than three weeks she was gone. She was gone in three weeks. And so uh, it, yesterday was not an easy day for the family. We understood what it was uh, sickness and we understood that it wasn't health. Yet relationships, folks, are held by an invisible cord called Commitment. Would you say that word, commitment? Commitment is an island of certainty in a sea of change. That's a statement. Commitment is an island of certainty in a sea of change. See, we're not human butterflies, folks, fluttering through other people's lives, stopping just long enough to get what we want and then flying off. We're human beings capable of making one thing certain in an uncertain future. And that is, are you ready? Here's what we can make certain. I will be there no matter what. I will be there. That's what I call commitment. See, commitment is not a prison of power in a world of control. It's really not. Power corrupts. And absolute power absolutely corrupts. Marriage is built on power will never stand. Now, the Bible can help us with this or the Bible can hurt us with this. It depends on how you interpret the Bible. But when I read passages like I'm going to refer to today, I'm not going to put it on the screen because it's so demeaning to so many women in the congregation because men have preached so hard about this for so long. The scripture wives submitting yourselves to husbands are used as an excuse for power and control for men. Marriages will crumble when that happens in homes. A prominent pastor in this country says Ephesians 5.22 means that a wife should relinquish her rights. And fall in line under her husband's authority, no matter what that authority demands of her, like a soldier obeys his commanding officer. And he went on to say, it might not be the wife's desire to fall in line under her husband's order, but it is her spiritual calling under God. Now, I'm going I'm to preach on that in a little while. But let me say kindly, that's, that's, that's heresy preaching. Because it has to have another side to it. There's another side to that. And that leader is a sick man wanting power and he's chauvinistic and all the women need to say amen to that because that's true. Power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. When the love of power replaces the power of love, families are destined for disaster. And that's just a phrase. Let me tell you the shocking words in this passage for those who heard it first. It was not women being submissive which would have been an improvement over their present standing because women in the Middle East and overseas are treated Sometimes worse than animals. They're made to do things that were very, very slanderous to their life. Ephesians 5 and 25, I'm going to put this on the screen. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When a husband, oh, I'm going to preach now, loves his wife as Christ loved the church, there's no problem with submission from anybody, from children, from wife. From fellow workers, when you love people as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church, then love will be returned to you. But when you're power hungry and you're power forceful and you throw it down with power, there is something wrong in the home that you're living in. I'm talking about a word called commitment today. It's like the old boy that said to his friend, he said, you know what, I'm going to leave my wife. He said, why? He said, you've been married to her 18 years. He said, she hadn't said a word to me in the last 18 years. The other old boy said, man, you can't find another one like that. What Paul explains in these five verses set in motion a social revolution, which women no longer were to be treated as pieces of property. Oh, I want to teach to be used or abused at every husband's whim. So let me say as best I can, marriage is a sacred covenant in which two persons form a partnership where they love and they honor and they cherish and they they cherish each other for a lifetime. Clap your hands because it is a two-way street. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submitting to your husbands. That's a beautiful thing. It's not a power trip. It's a beautiful thing. Now, parenting built on power will fail also. I'm going to talk about parenting. Now, I'm through with marriage. I'll get on that next week again. I'm going to talk about parenting. A little boy came home from school one day and his mama said, he's a little old fourth grader. Mama said, what would you learn? He said, I learned about atoms. He said, I learned that we're all made from atoms. He had a little old brother about six years old. He looked at his mama and said, mama, does that mean you're made from Eve's Kids. Ain't nothing like kids. Having trouble with your kids? Maybe you ought to take two aspirins and read the direction on the bottle. Keep away from kids. (laughs) You'll catch that if you're awake today. If you're not awake, you won't (laughs) catch that. See, what's true in marriage is likewise true in parenting. In the Roman culture, a father had full control of his kids, and I think a dad ought to be in the lives of their children we got a lot of no-show fathers in this world. But in Roman culture, they had full control. When a child was born, the baby was placed at the father's feet. And if the father stooped and lifted the child, he lived. If the father turned and walked away from the child, the child died. Roman fathers had the power to sell their children to slavery, to work them in the fields and punish them at will any way they wanted to punish them. But eyebrows were raised when Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, Fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. When I was a young man, I was probably much more in John's spirit at his beginning than I was John's spirit at the end of his life. Because John one day asked the Lord to call fire down from heaven on some people that wasn't doing right. And the Lord looked at him and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. But one day John caught a glimpse of what the love of God was all about. And he became entrenched with the power of the love of God. And I'm preaching this and teaching this out of the love of God today. Because I want you to understand that love really matters in this world today. What we are void of in America is good old fashioned love. We got a lot of lust but we don't have a lot of love in America today and in this world. And I believe with all my heart that churches and parents need to love their children and love one another as Christ loved us. Parenting by power, folks, and manipulation is a loser's game. I remember when I was just a young preacher in Dallas several years ago, there was a big old boy, and I could tell when he came in the church, he was just a bully. He was just a bully. He was a big old bully guy. And he probably had whooped everybody, and probably nobody had ever challenged him. And here I was, a whole lot smaller than I am even now. I was about 175 pounds, and don't ask me what I weigh now, but it's two plus. But anyhow, <laughs> I saw him one day, 6'2, 240. He started just slapping his kid. Just started slapping his kid. It broke my heart. He was just slapping his kid. He's provoking that child. It's provoking him. And I walked up to him. I said, man, I said, I'm not challenging you as a person. I'm asking you as a pastor, why are you doing that? He said, I'm going to make him tough. Just slapping. The kid got to crying, got mad, started fighting his father back. And I, and I told him, I said, sir, what you're creating is a fight spirit, not to the world, but back to you. I said, he needs you as a father. Yes, he's got to be tough and he's going to hurt himself. He's going to climb trees and he's going to fall down. But I said, don't, he said, preacher, go over yonder and get out of my world. I'll take care of my kids. I wish I could tell you the rest of the story, but I'm not going to go there because I'm not going to hurt anybody. But I'm telling you, when you provoke your children to wrath, you're doing something that is against the will of God. What our kids need in this hour is unconditional love from every parent unconditional love from the family and what everybody needs in this church is unconditional love from a pastor and unconditional love from a God in heaven and they get that and I want everybody to know in this house that when you walk in here I'm not going to judge you I'm not going to throw you under the bus I'm not going to call you out I'm going to tell you Jesus loves you and I love you and we're going to heaven together as a church of the living God that's the last time I'm going to yell at you Parenting by power, manipulation is a loser's game. Control works for a while, but children grow up and, and you are no longer there to apply the pressure. You can bribe your child for a while, but they're smart because they're your kids. And they'll earn that manipulation game right back at you and they'll return the favor. But here's what I tell you, love your kids no matter what. Here's four things that I did for my children. I didn't put them on the board because it may not be important to you. But I helped our kids set appropriate boundaries and establish their disciplines in life. That's what I did. I wanted them to establish the disciplines, not my discipline, but their disciplines. I wanted them to know and my wife and I told them our disciplines and our boundaries. And I said, you can adopt ours, you can have your own and I'm so happy that our kids fell in line with what we believe. Encourage them to pursue their God-given potential without pressuring them to please you because sometimes we missed our God-given purposes in life and we have flailed in life and now we found our purpose and sometimes we want our kids to overexcel, excel and we live vicariously through them trying to make them what we weren't. I'm teaching now. Be there for them when they need you. Give them wings so they can fly. That's the third thing I did. And always remember, always remember that love covers a multitude of sin. Amen. Always remember that love covers. Everybody say, love covers. The second thing I want, to, I want to share with you is commitment is a promise of presence. Everybody say promise, promise of presence in a world of selfishness. It's a very simple sermon, but I'm going to talk to you now. Commitment is a promise of saying, I'll be there, I'll be here. A man walked in church today. He walked in the house of God today, and it was, he was a precious man. I remember seeing him. I'd kind of lost the visual of his face, but I knew immediately when he said what he said. He said, Pastor, I've been gone 15 years. Did I tell you last Sunday people's going to start coming home? Did I tell you? We're going to celebrate homecomings in this church. He said, Pastor, I've been away 15 years. It's so good to see you. I said, you still hug people? And I said, yeah. And his collar was messed up. And I said, I still fix, fix collars too, and I fixed his collar. And he said, man, it's good to be back. I forgot how good this felt. Here's what I want to tell you. Love still covers a multitude of sin. And you hear me. A promise of presence is an awesome thing. Dad and mom, there's nothing greater than you can be in family than to be present for your children just to be present for your children. You don't have to know all the hows and whys and how-tos of raising children if they know you care. See, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care in church. And it's the same way with parents. People will love parents that are there for them, that care for their kids, that know that my children and my family is important. See, love seeks to serve. About 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, a man named Robert Greenleaf wrote a book called "Servant Leadership," in which he advocated service above self in business, and in education, and in churches, and other institutions of society. The other night, when or last night, when my wife got that message, and I'm, I'm, I don't I don't tell personal illustrations to to make you think that I'm something special because I want to be a servant leader in this church, and I'm not a, I'm not a power leader. I want to be a servant leader, but I. I My wife, my wife broke down and cried as hard as I've seen her cry in a long time. I've never done anything to hurt her so bad that she cried that way. I've never done anything like that. She cried so hard. And she was in her chair. I bought her a chair. I I want you men to know I bought my wife a chair and I get permission to set it in every now and then. (laughs) Somebody said your hen pecked. Well, it depends on who's the hen doing the pecking. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm not henpecked, but we love and honor one another in our home. And I'm just teaching. I'm trying to teach you some things. And my wife was in her chair, and she was breaking down and crying. Now, I was sitting on the couch, and she had just broke the news to me, and it broke my heart. But I had cried my eyes out yesterday, and I was, I, was, I was kind of cried out. And so there was two things I could have done, two things I could have done. One was leave the room and give her the time and the silence and the solace of having her own cry session. Oh, there's something else I could do. I could test the strength level of the armrest on that chair to see if it would hold this body of mine. And I could sit on the armrest of that chair and I could wrap my arm around my sweet wife and hug her up to my chest and tell her that I'm here and I care for her. I know you know what I did. Now, did it stop her crying? No, not for a long time. But I tell you what it did do it let her know that my commitment was a presence in her world. And when she was having her struggles, I wasn't going to run away from her. And I wasn't going to act like some macho man that didn't care for the woman in my life. One of the neatest things that I ever saw in my life, and the people are in this building today. They're here today. One of the persons were sick and is in the hospital. And I went to see that person. And when I got there, the other, the spouse was in the bed with the other one. I thought that was the coolest thing. And I I wouldn't say who it was, but they're sitting on the front row right here. But, but the awesome thing about that was that their, commitment, their commitments had a presence about it. People that are committed don't run away from their commitment. People that are committed don't run and flee when the wolf appears. They stay there. They're strong. They're mighty. And they're there for the long haul. It's a purpose. Are you with me? Can I get a witness from you right now? Love serves. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Servant leadership enriches, encourages, empowers, enables other people to feel their full potential. So I pose a question today. If servant leadership works in business, why wouldn't it work in family? Is that not what Jesus meant when he said in Ephesians 5.21, I love five and six of Ephesians. Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. This is awesome. I read the other day that some people will drive three hours in the pouring rain to help a business client, but on their way home they get aggravated if their wife calls them and asks them to stop to get a carton of milk on the way home. Or some of you will spend most of the day playing golf with a potential client or customer then ignore your son when he wants to toss the ball for ten minutes. I'm just talking. Some of you would rather make a meal for your neighbor than prepare a meal for your family. Why would, you, why would you rather serve the homeless and the addicts and the victims of natural disaster when people in our own household need something? See, foot washing with Jesus started with his disciples. Even Jesus knew what he needed to be close to. Let me tell you something. This church is a family. And I love people out there. And I love, I love them. I want them to be saved. But my calling is to pastor this congregation of people. And I want you to know that I will be a pastor that is present in this house. And you need a pastor, I'm here for you. You need help, you need prayer, I'll pray with you. You need some comfort, I'll be there for you. Because I believe that commitment has a presence with it. And if commitment has a presence for a pastor in his church, it has a presence with people and their families. Come on, dads. Come on, moms. Let's be present with our families. Let's be present with our children. And if you're a single mom, a single dad, be present for them. I know what that single stuff feels like when, when I lost my wife in 81 I was a single dad for a year and Misty had this hair it had to be combed I had never touched it that wasn't my job my job was to put bread on the table but she came in to me the first morning after we decided to put her back in school she came to me she said daddy I need some help Oh, God. <laughs> then I got on the phone, and I called the woman that had been her babysitter, and I said, what do we do? She said, well, the best thing I know to do is just pull it back in a pony, tug real tight till her eyes do this, <laughs> and wrap it in a rubber band, and send her off. I did that for a couple of days, and she said, Daddy, I don't like my hair that way. I want it fixed different." You know what I did? I was present, but I didn't know how to comb hair. I brought somebody in that could. (laughs) And I'd leave the house and let them fix the hair. I'd come back from breakfast, and the hair would be fixed, and the kid would be dressed, and I'd take her to school. And I'd say, I did this. (laughs) Because I did. I did. See, it's an awesome thing, this thing called presence. Commitment means I'm present. Now let me let, let me say something. I read about I read about a stockbroker. I love this story that took his wife on a on a little two week trip. He wanted to be a better husband, so they went to a secluded college and they walk, a cottage and they walked the beach. and He complimented her new clothes. and That evening they went shopping, and that wasn't his thing, but he went with her. And most of all, he didn't even call the office once in those two weeks. I, I like this. On the last night of the vacation, his wife broke down and started crying. And when he asked her what the matter was, she blurred out, you know that checkup I had a few weeks ago at the doctor's office? Did the doctor tell you something he didn't tell me? Am I dying? And the husband said, no. No, you're not dying, but I think I'm just starting to live. Now, I know, I know that what I'm teaching and what I'm preaching here right now is not something that's going to make you stand up and pump your fist and say, go get them, Pastor. Because I know it's convicting preaching and it's heart preaching and it's heart talk. And it's somewhere from a place called heart. But I said yesterday about Sister Vani when I I placed her in the presence of the Lord. I said she was my AC. She was my active current. She was my air conditioner. She drove away heat. When she walked in she was an attitude changer. My AC. She was an atmosphere changer. I just think that parents, I think parents ought to be atmosphere changers in their homes. I think dads ought to come home happy from his work because he's got a wife and family. I remember one day I was playing golf with a guy, and it was a horrible, horrible day, and he couldn't hit nothing down the middle, and I was hitting everything. I was striping, and he couldn't believe a preacher was beating him. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but sometimes I play good and sometimes I don't. But I wasn't acting like him when I don't play good. He was aggravated. He was saying words, and he'd say, oh, I'm sorry, that's my French. I said, that don't sound French to me. (laughs) Amen. And when the day was over, he was free. He said, I just, I just don't know where we'll play this game again. And I put my arm around him. I said, sir, you have family. You do, don't you? You have a wife. You have kids. He said, I do. I said, why don't you go home and be a dad now. Go home and be a husband and be the man that you need to be because this is just a game. That's life. That's life. Some of us let games upset us and we take it out on our children, take it out on our families. And we let, let husbands entangle us and we let things happen. Our children run us crazy. And we all of a sudden go off because we are... Changed by things that happen in our society. But I'm telling you, love covers a multitude of mistakes. And the reason that this pastor can preach every Sunday with the love of God is because I see you as God sees you. I see you with loving heart and a loving spirit because I see you as being good and doing good in life. Clap your hands and say, that's what we're going to do. I close. Randy, if you'll help me. I close. Sacrificial love is the standard. I want you to see it. Everybody say sacrificial love <laughs> is the standard. That's the standard. It's not possessive love. It's sacrificial love is a standard. Christ loved the church, He gave himself for it. Others matter more than ourselves. Others matter more than ourselves sacrificial love and number two sacrificial love is a giving love when love is young it seeks to get young love is about wanting to be happy I want to be happy I want myself to be mature love is about wanting somebody else to be happy young love is about songs and movies and breathless adventures but mature love is about a wife going to a nursing home to feed her Alzheimer's husband even though he won't know her name when she leaves that's what That love is. Sacrificial love is an uplifting love. It's a love about not winning and losing an argument, it's about forging a future. Thomas Kempis wrote, Be not angry that you cannot make another as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. How often have we told our spouses and our kids and our parents and our close companions the things that we appreciate about them? How long has it been? Encourage one another. That's the way loving people do it. It's called commitment. I'll be there. I'm a presence in your life. Sacrificial love is a no matter what love, no matter what, no matter what. I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've grabbed my little old kids, picked them up and my little daughters and held them in my arms. And I've said, babies, listen, listen. I don't care whatever happens to you. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be your daddy. I may not approve of your life. I may not approve of where you are. But I'm going to be your daddy. I'm going to be your daddy. We never had one of those sessions without. And it was me, not (laughs) them. But you parents know what it is to feel the love of children and love of family. It's a great love. It's an awesome love. You'd run into a burning building to save that child. You'd lift a car off of them because the adrenaline in your body would cause you to have that kind of strength. We just need to love our kids. We need to love our families. I need some ACs. I need some attitude changers and I need some atmosphere changers in our homes. Because every time you walk in here, you're going to feel the atmosphere of the love of God in this place. See, no matter if that that child is genetically unlucky and he's not good looking, she's not pretty, no matter if she's destined to be a pain in the neck, no matter if they choose values you despise or despise the values you cherish, no matter what, they are yours. And the only thing that will win them back to you is love. Maybe you have to be tough sometime, but it's love. So commitment in a single word is love, to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. His name was Thomas Carlyle. He was a great Victorian author, born in about 1801, died after an 80-year lifespan. He married a girl named Jane Welsh who was also a writer. And they had a great life. And they, they wrote a lot of stuff. If you want to read some great sayings, go to Thomas Carlyle, on, on, just, just Google him. Man, he's got some stuff. He wrote some fabulous stuff about life. But I want to hurry to tell this story because I want to pray with the congregation before you leave today. And I I want to tell you this story in closing. He got so busy with his business. He got so busy with things that he forgot to be a husband. He forgot. He just forgot. And his wife took sick for about two years and, and she lingered and and she would tell him when he would say, baby, I need to go to work today. Is that all right? Yes, go, honey, go. And he would go. And then as the, as the time progressed, he forgot to ask, and, but she didn't mind. But see, she was a writer also. And what he didn't know, she's keeping a diary of every day, not condemning him, but every day she kept a diary of his actions as well as her actions. I felt good today. I would have loved to see my husband today. It would have been nice. But he had to work, and I understand the next day didn't feel so good today but if my husband I'm waiting on him to come and he'll be here in a little while and I know he's going to make me feel good about life close he didn't come today and when she passed he took her to the grave and came back to the house and started cleaning up the house and looking around and he saw the diary never had seen it saw the diary went over and picked it up and started reading the daily journals of her writings about how long, much she longed to be with him because commitments is called presence. And they said Carlisle almost lost his mind. He ran back to the tomb and he knelt down and grabbing dirt in his hands he said five words if I had only known. If I had only known. Carlisle, you can write a lot of neat stuff about life but commitment is presence. It's being there. It's being there. And I want us to become being there people. Not just, I'm not talking about church, I'm talking about being there for your family, being there for your spouse, being there for your children. Because I promise you You train them up in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from It It may take a while, but God's going to bring them back. He'll bring them back to you because that's the God that we serve. He didn't give us Luke 15 for no reason. He gave us that chapter about the prodigal son because your kids can come home also. Your children will walk home also. They'll come back. You just got to keep loving, keep caring. Don't ever shut the door in their face. Don't ever say, no, no, no. Just say, I'm here. Because commitment is presence. Would you stand all over the building? I love you very, very much. I love you very, very much. I want our prayer partners to come real quickly, real quickly. And just station yourself. Just station yourself here today. Wow. Wow. We have so many precious young couples in this church. And I I want to be relevant to you. I really do. But I, I could snap my finger. And I'd be 30 again. Just like that. Just snap my finger. Because it was that long ago that I was 30. Time flies. And don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait till it's too late to fall in love. With commitment, with this thing called commitment, we must be committed to God Almighty, to our families, and to ourselves. God is walking with us today. Amen? Amen. Can everybody say amen? amen? Now here's what I want to do. I want every one of you precious prayer partners. I want you to just kind of walk down the aisles. We're not going to let the people come to us. We're going to go to them. I'm going to pray in just a moment for all these people. And I want prayer partners just to pick an aisle, any aisle you want to pick. And just kind of walk down it with your hands raised and just reaching out to people and blessing people. I want some, if they could. We have some prayer partners in the balcony. Is there any up there? Is there any up there today? Would you wave your hand at me? Any prayer partners? Okay. All righty. All right. Brother Jeff, could you go up those stairs right there, buddy? Could you go up those stairs right there, Brother Tom? Could you go up those stairs right there and be a prayer partner in the balcony? Thank you so very much. Thank you. Now, I want the people in the audience to raise your hands, and I want to bless you in the name of the Lord. Amen. I want to bless you. I'm going to ask God to bless you with this thing called commitment today. And I want the prayer partners just to walk down the aisles, and if you feel led to take a hand and pray for it for a moment, that's all right. Amen. Amen, Brother Vernon, Sister. Terry, y'all go ahead, just find you an aisle, amen. Hallelujah. Dear Father, bless these precious people today. Bless these precious people today in the name of Jesus. Let the hand of the Lord be upon their lives right now. Let the glory of the Lord touch them. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news